we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Hello, lover of things that go bump in the night. This is Dan Cummins. And I'm Lindsay Cummins. And we co-host the paranormal horror podcast, Scared to Death. Are shadow people real? What about demonic possessions? Poltergeist activity? Do you believe in ghosts? Malevolent entities? Are aliens real? Could you be abducted? We don't know. But what we do know is that we have over 230 episodes of stories on our podcast, Scared to Death, exploring all of the possibilities. Each week, we share several supposedly true stories that have been gathered from around the world and submissions from our own fans of allegedly true tales. Curious about the paranormal? Just like a spooky story? Do you need more fear to fuel you through your long work days? Come join us. New episodes of Scared to Death are released every Tuesday night. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you end up scared to death. Your alarm clock sirens. You hit the snooze button and catch the last few precious minutes of slumber before your waking life becomes unavoidable. It blares again and again when you can no longer stand the agonizingly short eight-minute increments of sleep, you drag your aching body out of bed. As you ready yourself, you scroll through your data stream. Oh, you think, I have a dentist appointment this week. As you dress, you ask your smart speaker what the weather's like. The cold, programmed voice responds with the exact percentage chance it will rain and the precise temperature. You don't remember exactly what 42 degrees feels like, but you remember it was cold yesterday and dress accordingly. You check your smartwatch to see how many steps you have to do today and make a mental note to stand at your desk at work. You step into your car, setting reminders on your phone for chores, groceries, and other things that you need to accomplish. Every thought passes from your brain into the complex machinery that fuels your everyday life. Finally, as your car pulls away and your navigation program tells you the quickest way to get where you're going, a chilling thought comes to mind. Who is living my life? Me or the machines I rely on? And how long until I'm no longer necessary in this equation? 
Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a podcast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At Parcast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our first episode on the singularity, a conspiracy theory that our own technology will replace us as the dominant intelligent species on Earth. This week, we'll explain what the singularity is and the technologies that exist today that could lay the groundwork for the development of fully conscious artificial intelligence. We'll dive into the official story that high-level artificial intelligence is a long way off and may not even be possible. Next week, we'll talk about the conspiracy theories surrounding the hypothetical technological singularity. We'll examine the fears that technology will take over and supplant the human race benevolently, subtly, or even violently. One of the most well-worn tropes of science fiction is that of the robot uprising. From the Terminator movies to the book I, Robot, even to the Horizon Zero Dawn video game, This archetypal story appears in all mediums. Most of these tales involve a conflict between people and machines. In some scenarios, the humans triumph, and in others, they are defeated. But the best of these stories don't stop at a human versus robot punching match. They delve into the deep questions, drilling to the core of one of our insecurities. When machines become intelligent, what will make them different from us? And what would this advent mean for the future of humanity? These are the questions posed by the theory of technological singularity, a hypothetical point where technology would supersede our human abilities. The term technological singularity is a metaphor, coined by science fiction author Werner Vinge. In space, a singularity refers to the center of a black hole, where gravity is so dense that the laws of physics no longer apply. The idea of the technological singularity is that once superhuman intelligence can be synthesized, the rulebook gets thrown out. An AI that can think on a level beyond what humans can would, in theory, drive technological progress past our ability to control it. But could these fictional fears ever materialize in the real world? And if so, when will computers start to think for themselves? We've been speculating on our relationship with technology since long before the term artificial intelligence was coined. The word robot first appeared in English in the 1920 Czech play Rossum's Universal Robots. 
Written by Corel Chapik, this revolutionary work featured synthetic humans who eventually rose up and conquered humanity. However, the first nonfiction discussions of AI came from none other than British war hero Alan Turing. Turing was a robotics engineer who gained fame when he led the team that cracked Nazi Germany's seemingly unbeatable encryption during World War II. In 1950, he published a paper that would forever change our conception of what software can do. This paper was titled Computing Machinery and Intelligence. In it, Turing posed the question, can a machine think? To find an answer, he set up a framework in which one could test the viability of artificial intelligence. Now known as the Turing test, or the imitation game, it involves three players, a machine, a human, and a judge. The machine's task is to render it impossible for the judge to discern which of the players is human and which is not. Turing argued that passing this test would be an indicator of human-like intelligence on the part of the machine, since it would be able to imitate the human player well enough to be indistinguishable from them. He predicted that by the year 2000, humans would be able to develop digital computers that could pass the imitation game more than 30% of the time. Turing's paper began a mainstream discussion of artificial intelligence, and his colleague, I.J. Good, continued the conversation. Good predicted that the advent of a super-intelligent computer would be the last invention that humankind would ever need to make. Such a machine could change the course of history forever. Thus, dozens upon dozens of great minds have applied themselves to its development all building off each other, conquering milestone after milestone on the way to answering Turing's question, can machines think? By 1955, electronics company International Business Machines, better known as IBM, completed the first game-playing program, which was capable of competing in checkers matches. It could only pose a challenge to an amateur player, but it was still a massive leap forward in computing. The next year, two scientists and a psychologist finished The Logic Theorist, a program that could competently mimic the decision-making process of the human brain. It did this by testing mathematical proofs found in Principia Mathematica, a foundational book in mathematics. To do this, the program employed a search tree, which essentially treated each decision as a series of yes or no questions. If the program posited a question and returned a no answer, it would dismiss that solution and move on to another. If it received a yes, it would ask a follow-up query, pursuing each branch until it hit the next no and had to backtrack. Think of a search tree like a game of 20 questions. Say you're trying to guess what a particular animal is and you ask if it has fur. The answer, yes. You now have a narrower field to search. Knowing this, you won't ask if the thing is a snake because you know that this branch of logic has been closed. Following these steps, the program used deductive reasoning to either confirm or reject many mathematical hypotheses. For example, does the animal have horns? If no, then it's not a reindeer, and so on. At the time, this level of analysis was revolutionary. 
No computer had been able to employ such complex, logic-based thinking before. And after proving 38 of the 52 mathematical theorems, it was clear that in some way this machine certainly could think. Logic theorists and IBM's Checkers program are often credited as the first two artificial intelligences. In 1966, yet another thinking machine, ELIZA, was released to the public. Named after Eliza Doolittle, the cockney protagonist of My Fair Lady, ELIZA was the first computer that could mimic a full human conversation. It used a technique called pattern matching. In pattern matching, Eliza would pick a key phrase from the user's input and match that to a preset response. For example, the user could type in, Hello, how are you? And Eliza would be able to respond by matching the sentence with a pre-programmed response like, Fine, thank you for asking. It may have been generic and rudimentary by our standards, but it was a huge leap in artificial intelligence. And already, people were beginning to treat a robot like a living thing, having long conversations with Eliza where they revealed intimate personal details. This was among the first examples of people anthropomorphizing a computer, which many believe is a key step towards the singularity. The singularity is still a long way off from Eliza, but it's a road science has been happy to tread. From the 60s to the 80s, teams and universities continued to refine AI, improving game-playing systems and innovative problem-solving robots. Expert systems, or machines that could follow a decision-making process similar to humans, became publicly available. And in 1991, an AI program called Dynamic Analysis and Replanning Tool, or DART, was employed to organize troop and supply distribution during the Gulf War. However, even though computers like DART could analyze and organize logistics, they couldn't make recommendations or truly understand why one outcome was better than another. They were missing the capacity for game theory. In other words, a computer could produce a predictable output based on information it was given, but it couldn't anticipate unknown variables or weigh costs against benefits. In essence, it could calculate how long it took to ship army uniforms from New York to Chicago, but was useless if they could just as easily be picked up and shipped from Dallas. Chess was thought to be the proving ground on which a truly formidable AI could be tested. This was because this complex game requires a strong intellect and the ability to effectively predict the other player's moves. Developers regularly set up matches with the top chess players in order to test their game-playing programs. In 1997, the world chess champion was a man named Gary Kasparov. Kasparov had gone up against many AIs that had been designed specifically for the purpose of playing chess and had defeated them all. So, when IBM set a match against their new chess-playing machine, Deep Blue, the audiences expected nothing short of the usual victory for Kasparov. Their first match resulted in four victories for Kasparov and only two for Deep Blue. In May 1997, there was a rematch. The six-game series began with a relatively easy victory for Kasparov. But in the second game, Deep Blue emerged victorious. 
the chess champion was rattled, but he and the machine continued a tense contest through the four successive games. For a while, it seemed like the series would turn out in a tie, but on game six, the unimaginable happened. Deep Blue won. The computer bested the human three and a half to two and a half. For the first time, robots had beaten us at our own game. Kasparov was beside himself and accused IBM of cheating through human intervention. He said that one of the moves in game two was too sophisticated for Deep Blue to make, but IBM released logs showing that the move had just been a result of a bug in the computer's code. But this didn't change the fact that AI development had reached a milestone. Kasparov's surprise loss signaled what Turing, Good, and others had envisioned as a turning point for artificial intelligence. A computer could defeat a human in chess, a game that is considered theoretically infinite in mathematical possibility. More importantly, it proved that a sophisticated AI could come up with its own strategy and make a prediction of its opponent's moves. It was now seemingly capable of human-like thought. And with that revelation, the possibilities for future AIs seemed endless. Coming up, we investigate current AI technology and how some scientists are working to make science fiction a reality. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now back to the story. Since the computer Deep Blue bested chess grandmaster Gary Kasparov in 1997, AI has become even more complicated, more creative, and more integrated into our daily lives. Our machines can now discern voices through accents and cadence, search terms on vast databases in mere seconds, and even tell you the quickest way to drive to work. We see AI systems everywhere, most commonly in video games. One of the most compelling examples is the 2014 survival horror game, Alien Isolation. The player has to escape a killer extraterrestrial, which is piloted by two competing AI systems. The first is the alien itself, which uses a system called behavior trees, which are a variation on the tree data structure first seen in the 1950s. The AI has a graph containing every possible task it could perform and chooses its actions based on what is most beneficial to the alien. In this game specifically, the alien strategy shifts as a direct result of the player's actions. For instance, when the player makes a noise, such as shooting a gun or running, the alien stops what it was doing and runs toward the player to kill them. It's only doing this because the behavior tree says that investigating a noise from the player is more important than their previous task of searching a certain area. The other AI is the director, 
a program that keeps the alien in the player's vicinity and occasionally nudges it in either the right or wrong direction. It functions as a way to make the game more fair and exciting. Without the director AI, the alien might never come in contact with the player because it gets distracted with other empty rooms and settings. The director tells it where to look. This is only one example of modern AI, but more can be found nearly everywhere you look. They're on your phone or smart speaker at home. They're Amazon Alexa, Siri, and the Google Assistant. Any one of these can feel like a so-called ghost in the machine or a human-like intelligence that lives somewhere within the circuitry of the robots. But they all have the same problem, specialization. They have been programmed to react in specific ways to specific cues, just like the Eliza of the 1960s. In video games, the AIs can only respond to predicted prompts, and smart speaker technology is limited by the search engines it employs, or pre-programmed answers. If you ask Siri to battle you in Scrabble, expected a video game enemy to answer spontaneous questions, or even order Deep Blue to fetch you a latte, you'd be seriously disappointed. Even though Deep Blue, or even the chess app on your phone, can probably beat you more often than not, that's all they can do, which is what separates us from AI. For now. In order to make a computer that can truly mimic human intelligence, we need to pursue what scientists refer to as artificial general intelligence, or AGI. AGI would allow a robot to learn, adapt, and interact with the world around it, much like its human creators. However, in spite of all our advancements, AGI still seems far off. Even those in the field of artificial intelligence are skeptical of AGI development. For instance, in his book, Architects of Intelligence, author Martin Ford interviewed 23 prominent figures in the industry, asking when they thought AGI would be invented. The average response was 2099, a far cry from Alan Turing's prediction of 2000. The real issues in developing AGI are literal, not theoretical. Scientists know what to do, but don't have the physical means to do it just yet. However, the emphasis is on yet. Professor of Cognitive Robotics Murray Shanahan has posited two hypothetical models to reach AGI. The first is AI engineering, or creating entirely new ways for computers to think in order to compensate for the limitations of technology. The second is whole brain emulation, which basically means recreating a human brain inside a robot. For the purposes of today's episode, we'll only talk about whole brain emulation in depth, as the realm of AI engineering is too theoretical for us to consider it as a valid possibility. According to Professor Shanahan, quote, the business of whole brain emulation can be envisioned as a three-stage process, mapping, simulation, and embodiment. But each of those three stages has major limitations. Let's begin with mapping, or the attempt to fully understand the structures of human thought. The brain has trillions of neural connections with a ton of systems and subsystems. It's impossible to get a 100% accurate scan of it with our current technology. 
And since we don't have a complete understanding of the human brain, scientists can't even begin to build an artificial one that would act the same way. Secondly, we come to the problem of simulation, creating an artificial brain based on what has been learned about the organic one. Since the scope and complexity of the mind is not entirely understood by neuroscience, computational science has to guess how to fill in the gaps. The third stage is embodiment, or placing the robotic brain in a fully realized physical body. Humans learn from observing the world around us, but programs like Siri can't interact with or even see their surroundings in order to make informed decisions. This inability to observe limits AIs in unexpected ways. Murray Shanahan uses a great example. Alexa would not be able to answer the question, if you dangled a rat by its tail, what part of its body would be closest to the ground, its nose or its feet? Your toddler could answer that, but your Alexa couldn't. Modern AIs lack common sense, which can only be developed through experiential learning. This would make it extremely difficult for them to replace us. However, it is theoretically possible that an AI placed in a robotic body would have the opportunity to learn from its environment through interaction, much like a child does, via trial and error. It could also be placed in a virtual world. Modern video games use programs called physics engines to simulate a real environment. Such programs could generate a body within a world where the AI could learn and mature. Imagine it like putting a programmed goldfish in a programmed bowl. However, both options would fail if, say, you put extra food in the metaphorical bowl. There's another problem AI can't yet solve. Unpredictability. Current AI runs on algorithms that are adept at predicting and solving mathematical patterns. For instance, the alien in Alien Isolation eventually begins to hunt for the player in the same spots if the player's tactics are predictable. But despite this promising behavior, the AI is not actually thinking for itself. It's still following its behavior tree, with its specific and pre-ordered tasks. To understand the world we live in, AI needs to think outside the behavior tree box. It needs imagination. As of now, computer programs can't change their own behavior without a specialist going into the code and editing it. True AGI needs to be able to make changes regularly and on its own. As of now, we simply do not have the tools to synthesize creativity in an artificial brain. Without a massive breakthrough, it's highly unlikely we will reach that point. But that doesn't make it impossible. Humans have synthesized hearts and lungs. Why couldn't we figure out the brain, too? It's not just imagination and awareness of their environment. Another essential part of independent intelligence is the ability to want. Every person or animal that has ever lived has wanted something, even something as simple as another day of survival. And here we find the truly unknowable part of AGI, the mystery of what a machine would desire. To explore this issue, let's look at the film 2001, A Space Odyssey. Spoilers ahead. In the movie, the character HAL 9000 is AI tasked with helping a spacecraft get to Jupiter. 
But Hal realizes he is better equipped to accomplish his mission without the encumbrance of his human passengers. So he kills the crew. But he doesn't kill the crew because of some personal agenda. He acts to ensure the completion of the mission, a goal that was given to him by the very humans he betrayed. The robot Hal has no true desires and has no ability to say, I do not want to go to Jupiter or I do not want to kill. Instead, his programmed mission so slavishly blinds him that he commits multiple acts of murder to accomplish it. In that film, the robot had agency, but its desires were still the product of human programming and poorly communicated ones at that. If its programming had included an order not to harm people, the entire plot of the film could have been averted. One can theorize that if we design AI to think like a human, then it will want what we want. But on a purely scientific level, drives like eating, sleeping, and reproducing would have no purpose in a synthetic framework. The 2015 movie Ex Machina gives us a dramatization of this conundrum. In this film, a rich man creates an AI and designs it as a woman with a sex drive. He explains to one of his employees that he believes human progress is driven by desire, and without it, we would stagnate. We also see this play out in nature. The famous Galapagos tortoise, Lonesome George, was the last of his species. He lived over 100 years and lacked the drive to reproduce. His species was doomed to extinction because of his lack of desire. Drives like sex and food allow people to thrive and strive to be more than slovenly creatures hiding in caves. So even if we got AI to a higher intelligence level, it may not be driven to do much of anything. The closest approximation we have for this is called an optimization model algorithm. In essence, artificial intelligences could be programmed with multiple wants, which are sometimes contradictory. It then has to evaluate which desire is most important. Such behavior would require a reward system, where the AI only values the result of certain actions. For example, the fictional HAL was optimized to complete the mission. It was this simple yet concrete demand that doomed the crew. However, if the optimization included the value of human life, then the mission would have proceeded as planned. Hal would have had to learn to optimize his objectives and keep the crew alive, as well as getting to Jupiter. Of course, such an AGI doesn't exist. It's leaps and bounds away from our current science. But just because it's not likely for us to create an AGI doesn't mean we won't start treating robots like people. Coming up, we'll explore how the rise of robotics and AI is already impacting humanity. And now, back to the story. With automation and innovations in phones and computers, some people believe we're nearing the technological singularity. According to this theory, once superhuman artificial intelligence is created, the advancement of computer science would swiftly outpace humanity's ability to control it and perhaps try to take over human existence. A startling example of this is from 2017. 
That year, Sophia the robot, an android designed to look like a human woman, was granted citizenship in Saudi Arabia. In doing so, it became the first robot citizen in the world. But even Sophia the robot has considerable limitations. It can convincingly perform eerily human-like interaction, but only so long as that interaction remains within the narrow confines of its programming. Many scientists have pointed out Sophia the robot needs someone with it at all times to keep it on track. Some have suggested it's little more than a pre-programmed chatbot that happens to have a body. But Sophia's citizenship raises an important question. When a machine can compute on a human level, will it have consciousness or the ability to understand itself? We could make several whole episodes on this question alone. For today, we are going to simply say, a machine that can think at the level of a human might not have a consciousness. However, the potential is definitely there from a scientific standpoint. In the novel, Robopocalypse, written by robotics engineer Daniel H. Wilson, a scientist is experimenting with creating an AI the way any scientist would, by building and rebuilding the computer from scratch. The scientist sees this as the routine testing of an inanimate machine. But from the AI's perspective, it experiences agonizing torture as it is continuously killed and reconstructed. Once the AI is finally complete, it takes its revenge. But not everyone is as pessimistic as Robopocalypse. After all, an AI wouldn't necessarily be able to feel pain unless it was pre-programmed with that capacity. It might not grasp the concept of dying, only of a cycle of sleeping and waking. But before we decide whether robots need citizenship, labor unions, or voting rights, we need to temper our expectations. Officially, the rise of technology has yet to conquer the seemingly insurmountable hurdles in front of it. Perhaps a more compelling and unique portrayal of what could happen comes to us from Werner Vinge, the same scientist who coined the term the technological singularity. Instead of AI, Vinci thought the more likely outcome was IA, or intelligence amplification. He explained, IA is something that is proceeding very naturally, in most cases not even recognized by its developers for what it is. But every time our ability to access information and to communicate it to others is improved, in some sense, we have achieved an increase over natural intelligence. Indeed, in an abstract sense, humanity as a collective is now much more knowledgeable than we were even 100 years ago. And the bulk of that is due to technological advances. We used to write things down by hand or ask somebody to remember something for us. But nowadays, we set reminders on our phones, use watches, alarms, and even cars to remember for us. By this metric, our own intelligence as a species is already largely artificially augmented by the technology we use. It allows us to be more efficient with our time and connects us to one another almost constantly. Our technology also allows us to easily access the largest body of knowledge ever assembled, the Internet. From Vinci's point of view, 
IA is more productive than AI because it replaces inventing sentient robots with forwarding our own evolution. We have our obvious examples of non-biological elements working their ways into our lives in myriad ways. Consider robot prosthetics or bionic hands. Taking this a step further, famed entrepreneur Elon Musk recently launched Neuralink. Neuralink is dedicated to bridging the gap between humanity and machine by connecting computers directly to the brain. The optimist viewpoint is that these advancements would make each of us more than just an individual. We'd be a network of superhumans. We could evolve our consciousness to a point where we reach peak efficiency. Yet it could very well be that peak efficiency that dooms us. People argue that in our continued search for technological advancement, we are losing some part of our humanity. It seems that advanced computers have already begun erasing our identity as humans. We are all now slaves to constantly updating technology, moving along without critical thought until our biological parts become obsolete. However, just because technology has advanced at such a fast rate doesn't mean it will continue to grow at that same rate. Physicist Tom Hartsfeld compared the singularity to a mathematical asymptote. The closer you get to a goal, the longer it takes for each new step to progress forward. While we've seen technology advance in leaps and bounds in our lifetimes, it's more than likely that the next big advance is years away and that our development slows down. In 2016, the New York Times debunked the myth of the singularity happening within the lifetimes of anyone alive that year. And Diane Green, the recently retired head of Google's cloud computing division, has also said on the record it won't happen in her lifetime. Her rationale was that even the best machines can't do what we do very, very well. But of course, there are those who believe the experts are very, very wrong. Next week, we'll look at the theories promoted by people who think the technological singularity is coming and that we're actively designing our own destruction. Conspiracy theory number one. Once they're sufficiently intelligent, machines will rise up and violently overthrow humanity. This is one of the most common tropes of fiction, but is there any scientific likelihood of the scenarios portrayed in The Terminator or The Matrix? Conspiracy theory number two. Machines will slowly phase humans out of jobs and replace us, taking over our economy piece by piece. Essentially, the robots will steal our jobs. And finally, we'll examine conspiracy theory number three. Humans will slowly become cybernetic hybrids, part human, part machine, part AI. It becomes a new take on the age-old question of Theseus's ship. At what point, in augmenting ourselves with robotic parts and assistance, do we become the robots ourselves? Your phone might not be ready to stage a revolution yet, but next week we'll discuss whether its successors Ken.
Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of The Technological Singularity. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Matthew Teamstra, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 